Hey, let's get to it. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 18 as we continue our Through the Bible study? Seven more chapters through the Bible and then that'll be two times for Athey Creek through the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Seven chapters to go and then we'll have done two full laps. Uh, this particular lap took us about 15 years. Uh, the first lap took 13 years. Um, we'll see how long the next lap takes. Uh, uh, but um, uh, today, uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, one of the things that's fun about the gospels, uh, when we see the harmony of the gospels is um, a lot of the stories, we get different angles and perspectives from the various gospel writers. Um, and um, some of these people in this uh, you know, narrative of Luke 18 are people that you're familiar with. If you've been in our study since Matthew, we've already covered some of these uh, people and characters, but this is a different perspective. I'd like to take a look at Luke chapter 18 in context of itself and, um, and kind of treat it like we're gonna meet some new people. So that's the thing, people to meet, lessons to learn in each one of the people groups. And so it, it, um, I'd like to try to take Luke 18 in a little faster, more hard hitting kind of pace as we've covered many of these already in previous gospels, but we can pull out kind of the differences and what have you. So there's a lot of people we're gonna meet here. We're gonna meet a poor widow. We're gonna meet an unjust judge. We're gonna meet a Pharisee and um, you know uh, some children, a penitent sinner, a, a rich young ruler, a poor blind man. Uh, we're gonna see all these characters uh, in the stories that we're about to read. The first story is about prayer and we start in verse one. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse one is the main point of the parable. Um, you say, well, why do we even need to hear a parable then? Um, I love that Jesus illustrates what his uh, you know, teachings uh, would show because illustrations help us to, it kind of brings it home for us. What, what exactly is he talking about? Because you can always say, well, sure, I'm supposed to pray all the time and, and don't give up praying. But what does that look like? And then Jesus gives us this little story of what that looks like. And this is where um, he, um, you know, uh, is gonna argue consistency and persistency in prayer. Um, Galatians 6, 9, you guys know, it says, and be not weary in well-doing for in due season we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. Um, I do wonder sometimes if we miss out on things because we just give up too early. You know, maybe, maybe we give up in praying or, uh, for someone or, or for something that the Lord's put on our heart to pray. The benefit of sticking with it and just keep going, keep going and don't give up. Um, you know, sometimes I think we stop praying because we feel so small and insignificant and maybe the Lord's not answering our prayer because, you know, nobody really cares about the things I'm praying about, but God cares. Um, and uh, no matter how small you may feel, God sees and hears all your prayer. I was uh, reading about uh, 1972, there was a satellite that we launched, um, Pioneer 10. And um, it was kind of it was it was kind of an interesting one because uh, you know here's a picture of the of the uh, satellite that was being launched. Uh, they were finishing it up here in the in the lab, and then they launched it on a rocket. Uh, but the mission was to reach Jupiter, uh, Jupiter, and and photograph uh, that um, that you know planet. Um, so they launched it in 1972. They were hoping that it would swing around Jupiter around. Um, 1973 in December uh, and get a few photos of it and stuff like that. Um, and there were a bunch of critics saying it was a big waste of money and it wouldn't even make it to Jupiter. And there was all kinds of people cynical about it. Um, but the thing that I, I sort of loved about this story is the Pioneer 10, not only did it do its job for Jupiter, it also continued onward to cross the orbit of Saturn, uh, Uranus, 
Neptune and Pluto, all the way out to Pluto. It was originally designed for a 21 month mission to fly by Jupiter, but Pioneer 10 uh, lasted and sent uh, pictures and signals back for the next 30 years. (laughs) They called it the little satellite that could. Uh, Pioneer 10 sent its last signal to Earth in January 2003 from a distance of 7.6 billion miles. um, uh, And it took 11 hours and 20 minutes to that signal to reach Earth. Um, uh, The transmitter on this was eight watts back there in 1973, um, uh, which is about as much as your bedroom nightlight, you know, the little tiny nightlight you have in your bedroom. That's the power of this satellite. Um, but it was dubbed, you know, the little satellite that could, I love that. And it broke a, a ton of records, you know, first spacecraft on a trajectory to escape the solar system to interstellar space. It was the first man-made object that went past our solar system. Um, uh, you know, and, and the, there was a lot of firsts um, that this little satellite broke. But, you know, I was, I was thinking about that, you know, just this little tiny satellite in the universe uh, squeaking off these little signals back to Earth. And I, I thought, you know, that's really like us. You know, um, we, we get to speak to the Lord and that signal reaches the ears of the Lord. And, and we, have, we have audience, even though we might feel insignificant and uh, like we're, nobody's listening, um, the Lord is listening. And, and this is Jesus, who is God, Jesus saying, uh, man, I want you to pray always and not to faint. Don't give up praying. And so that's what this illustration, um, you know, is going to be leading us to. Um, well, um, all that to say, uh, let's let's go on to verse two. It says in verse two, um, Jesus said, "We always want to pray and not faint." Saying, um, "There was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, and there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary.'" And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, this is, this, we have um, the first snapshot, the first people to meet here in our lesson is the widow and the unjust judge. These are the people we're meeting here in this first illustration snapshot that Jesus is giving. Here in the situation, the judge is saying, man, she's kind of driving me crazy. Let's just hear her out so we can be done with her, you know? Um, and so in verse six, it goes on. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear along with them? Um, I tell you um, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Interesting, um, you know, little illustration that Jesus uses here. And some of us might say, what does that have to do with, you know, praying and not fainting? Well, the idea is this woman had a request or a prayer, if you would, uh, given to an unjust judge who didn't care about men and he didn't care about God. Like this is a really nasty person. Um, and, and, and oftentimes you'll see Jesus employ this uh, sort of uh, rhetorical device of, of kind of putting the ridiculous next to the beautiful, to show how ridiculous it is and how beautiful it is. Uh, it's like a juxtaposition, compare and contrast. And here, Jesus is point, uh, painting sort of a horrible picture um, about this judge who's a jerk and this poor widow woman who's not getting any help. And, he, and even he, Jesus is kind of saying, even this unjust judge, 
<coughs> eventually helps this woman, even though he's, he's a total loser. Um, and, and then Jesus's point, we're in a totally different category. We have a just judge who loves us and cares about us. And, um, and like, you know, whatever the widow's request is, the Lord says, the, our judge will avenge you speedily. He won't hesitate or drag his heels. Um, you know, um, there's, there's, there's three sort of components to this compare and contrast that I think are kind of interesting with the widow and the unjust. That's first, praying versus fainting. If you feel like you're going through rough times, the key is to pray. But what does it mean to um, you know, pray without fainting or pray without ceasing? First Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing, um, for this is the will of God. Um, your life set aside and your mind given to thinking about the things of God, thinking about his word, but also speaking your heart to, to the Lord and just communicating with God. It doesn't mean that you have to continually be on your knees at work, praying in the office next to your cubicle. Um, when, it, when it says pray without ceasing, that's just talking to the Lord as you're working, as you're going. Uh, we need to use and employ persistent prayer. This woman was persistent. That's what, um, you know, was part of the picture here. So you got praying versus fainting, compare and contrast. You got the widow versus God's elect. Um, the widow is this poor widow woman. In, in the Bible uh, times, widows were in deep trouble. There was, there was not a lot of good programs for the widow. That's why when you read, uh, you know, the, the letter from Paul to Timothy about the widows indeed, um, the church was supposed to take care of the widows because the culture didn't. The culture had said, well, her husband died. I guess she's gonna be a homeless beggar on the street now. Like that was the way it was. So the widow is kind of your worst case scenario uh, in their culture at that time. Um, but you compare that with, you know, we're not the, the uh, widow that, the, you know, that everybody wants to not care about, but you're, you know, the idea is we are God's elect. That's uh, shall not God avenge his own elect, it says here in verse seven. Uh, so it's part of this compare and contrast. By the way, in Jesus's time, there was uh, no such thing as a city courthouse um, and a judge with a robe and a gavel and all that stuff. But a judge would actually travel. And, and um, oftentimes in the first century, they'd go from town to town with a little tent. And they'd come into town and his little posse would set up a tent with a table and a chair and people would get in line and they'd make appointments to uh, come and talk to the, the judge uh, to deal with the legal issues. Um, but often, however, the needs were so great in the community um, that he, his uh, docket would sort of be filled. There wouldn't be any room for uh, more people on the list. So, so who do you suppose would be the left out one? Um, the widow, uh, the homeless widow, or the person who's not high up in the community. In fact, um, there was uh, writings historically about people who would pay off the judge not to judge in their favor, but just to be seen. Like you, the people were known to pay money to the judge, just, you know, underhanded kind of payment, just so that he'd hear their case. Um, and so this was kind of the condition of the day, but um, this, is, this is her one chance as she gets before the judge and she, uh, she cries out to the judge. Uh, I, I, I think it's important for us to see that difference. The point is, um, this is a downcast widow that nobody cares about. And Jesus's point is, you are cared about. And the judge loves you and cares for you as even verse seven says, even as his own elect uh, chosen. Second Corinthians 6, 18 uh, says, and will, um, the Lord will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Um, so, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Do you think uh, God would deny listening to his own children? 
And the answer to that is obviously no, he, he listens. That's why prayer is powerful. You've got the ear of the loving Father in heaven who's saying, come persistently. Well, Brett, why persistently? If God loves me, then why doesn't he give me the answer to my prayer right away? Why does this persistency uh, have to be uh, part of the deal? Um, you parents know why that happens. As parents, you wanna talk to your kids. You wanna have a relationship with your kids. If you just gave them everything they needed but didn't have any interaction with them, that's not a relationship. Um, and the Lord has his timing and his purpose and his plan. It's not that he's not listening. It's that he has a perfect timing. So we, Jesus's little parable here, we have nothing to worry about um, because the Lord is eager to hear us. That's, that's what Jesus says. The third sort of compare and contrast, not only the widow and God's less praying and fainting, but unjust judge versus God the Father in heaven. That's a big difference. This judge is a self-centered guy who could care less about the poor widow. Um, there's an interesting thing here uh, in the translation that I caught today, the first time I'd seen it. Um, and it's the word weary in, in verse five. Did you see in verse five, it says, yet because this widow troubles me, the judge said, I will adventure lest by her continual coming, she weary me. And I was looking at this in the Greek text and the word weary, um, a better translation than the word weary is give me a black eye. Um, now what? Now that, that caused me to think, what does that mean? Uh, lest this woman give me a black eye. Um, I'm wondering if it's figurative or literal. Maybe this lady was tough and she's gonna punch him in the face. I'd say he deserved it. Um, but I'm not sure that's what it means. I, I, I wonder if this judge is saying, you know, I'm supposed to as a judge care about God and care about man, but he doesn't. But because he's showing his lack of care and concern for the widow, I'm wondering if he's talking almost like we would say, oh, that's gonna give you a black eye. Figuratively, that means uh, it's not a good look. The optics uh, are not good and, and you'll be found out as a charlatan or a fake. Um, I'm wondering if that's what this judge is saying. He didn't care about her, but he thought, well, she keeps coming and people see her and I'm not helping her. So I might as well just help her um, because I need to make her go away. So interesting uh, Greek word, the word is uh, hupo, hupo piazzo. Uh, sounds like uh, some, uh, a pizza in, in uh, Italy or something, but it means to tire one down or to give one a black eye. I think that's hilarious. Um, so, um, but God is this compassionate figure that we love and know who wants to uh, help his children. What a beautiful thing. We're not gonna go to the unjust judge. When you go to the Lord in prayer, don't forget he's the just, loving, compassionate judge. So um, the widow and the unjust judge, snapshot number one here in chapter uh, you know, uh, 18 of Luke. Um, snapshot number two, we have two individuals now going to Jerusalem to pray. We're still on the topic of prayer, but Jesus is gonna give us another illustration and two different people. We're gonna see the Pharisee and a publican. Uh, we begin there in verse nine. It says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Do you see the one, two, three punch there of these Pharisees? These are nasty individuals. Um, they trusted in themselves. Is that a good thing to trust in yourself? No. Uh, and also that they, were, they thought they were righteous, but the Bible declares there's no one righteous. These guys thought they were. And then they also despised others. Man, if, if any one of these attributes fall in your camp, man, you gotta repent. That's a pharisaical kind of attitude that we should not have. But this is, this is about the Pharisee. Um, so he goes on with his illustration there in verse 10. Um, and he says, 
Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. Uh, now, um, by the way, um, we, we may be the opposite of those that are described here, these Pharisees, but um, getting too caught up into thinking that we have become righteous or that we're pretty good people, um, you know, that, that's, that's a pitfall. And, and, you know, I think it's easier for us to kind of in our minds as we read this, identify with the poor sinner. I'm the poor sinner, but I, I'm, I'm not as worried about that. I wanna say, Lord, sniff out any of that Pharisee that might be in me thinking I'm better than someone else or that I'm actually a pretty good guy. Oh, I might falsely say in front of you, oh, I'm just a sinner like everybody else. But in, in your mind or in your heart, you could be thinking, yeah, but I'm pretty much better than pretty much everybody else. Like there's people that have that attitude and, and it can creep into your heart if you're not careful. I'm sure the Pharisees didn't start out thinking they were the most awesome of everyone, but it's funny how time and life and age and maybe some success and a little bit of God's grace on your life, you can start convincing yourself, I'm pretty much better than everybody else. Um, that's, that's what's happening here. Uh, verse, uh, so verse, uh, verse 10 says, you know, as Pharisees and publicans and, and, and uh, it is election, is it election night right now in Iowa? I think it is in Iowa. Not tonight, when is that? Monday or Tuesday, yeah, okay. Um, so since it's election, let's talk about publicans. Um, no, it's not publicans and Democrats, it's the publicans. Remember the word publican is, um, is the word for the tax collectors that were traitors. They were often Jews who were hired by the Romans to collect taxes from the Jews. And they were, um, they were often hated Nobody liked the publicans, and uh, so, but they were loaded. They had lots of money because they ripped off all the Jews. So as they ripped off the Jews, they'd, they'd line their own pockets, but then they could have big houses and big parties at their houses. So who would show up to the parties of the publicans' house? Not the regular people, but the, the sinners. That's why you always hear the words publicans and sinners always in the same sentence, the harlots, the thieves and the robbers and dishonest people. Um, they would all kind of hang out together. So, so that's, that, that, they were hated. You know, the, the publicans were a hated bunch. They were dishonest and uh, nobody liked them. So you got the Pharisee and you got the publican um, and, uh, and the, the Jews thought of them as sort of party animals and stuff like that. So verse 11, and the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I've marked that in my Bible. He pray, he's praying with himself. Um, is that the way prayer is supposed to be? No, you know, prayer is supposed to be toward the Lord. Um, uh, but he's praying to himself. Uh, you know, I've done teachings on prayers that fail to fly. There's, there's prayers that will not reach the ears of God. The Bible tells us about those. Your prayers will be hindered. Um, you know, there's a bunch of things. There's, there's several things in the Bible that if you ask amiss, your prayer will be hindered. Like if you're asking something that's not in line with God's will uh, for your life, uh, you know, James says you're asking amiss and you won't, the Lord won't hear your prayer. If you have unrepentant, unconfessed sin in your life, um, that hinders your prayer. Um, if you have a disregard for God's word, like there's several things the Bible says your prayer will fail to fly. The only way out of that hole is to confess that sin and start over. And then your prayer reaches heaven again. Um, but this guy, he, he's not praying to the Lord because he's a sinner because he's got pride and he thinks he's better than everybody else. He trusted in himself. He thought he was righteous and he despised everybody else. So he's praying with himself. I hope you're not a person that prays to yourself. Also, be careful you're not praying to other people. Have you ever noticed in public prayer sessions, 
There's people that often forget they're praying to God and then you can tell they're trying to communicate to the prayer group, the prayer circle. Um, it gets a little embarrassing because you're like, uh, <clears throat> we're supposed to be talking to the Lord, but you can tell the person in the room's praying so that everybody hears what they're saying. And I've seen it. You know, I've been around Christianity all my life. So there's always the person who wants to be thought of as very spiritual. And so they start waxing eloquent in their, in their prayers. And you get a sense that they don't understand the humbling uh, attribute of speaking to God uh, in prayer. I mean, uh, I think a person who really knows they're praying to God, there's a humbling factor. Like you can't sort of pray with an arrogance, Lord, great creator and sustainer of all things. Um, that's just dumb. If you're talking to God, you got to stop wetting your pants, then start pr praying. Like, like if you really understand who you are before God, when we pray, there should be a humility and uh, an awareness that, man, I'm talking to the creator of all things. This guy is making that classic mistake. He's praying to himself or maybe even being, you know, praying to be heard of others. Uh, but he's definitely not talking to God, it seems. That's the idea. The Bible, Jesus made it clear. He, he was praying with himself. And then it goes on in verse 11. Um, he said, he prayed with himself saying, um, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. This is your typical Pharisee, tithe of all. Like these are the guys who would count their pepper. You know, nine pepper specks for, the, for me, one pepper speck for God. And he'd go through all their spices and, and, and tithe. Like these guys thought they were so amazing. This, this same attitude can creep into our lives, you know, watching how other people um, live their lives. And we think, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Uh, what a pitfall. Uh, when we compare ourselves to each other, that's a, uh, a wrong comparison. It's always interesting when you compare yourself to other people. You know, you can think you're pretty good until you meet somebody who's better than you. Um, and when, the more global you start thinking, the more real, you realize you're low on the totem pole. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very humbling. Uh, you know, I remember in high school, I was fairly gifted in the area of weightlifting. I remember during um, football, I'd play football. They wanted me to wrestle during the off season. And then I was a shot putter, discus javelin thrower in track. Um, so, uh, but every, every uh, basketball season, I'd try to go out for basketball and they're like, Brett, you're not a basketball player. I'm like, please let me play basketball. No, uh, you know, I, I played my freshman year on, um, and then my, my sophomore year, I was on the losingest team in America told you that story before. And I got cut from that team. I literally got cut from the losingest team in America. Um, but the wrestling coach is like, Brett, you gotta go out for wrestling. This is your sport. But I just, I, for, for some reason, it wasn't something I really was looking forward to. Um, and I know there's great dudes that do it, uh, you know, and sweat on mats and, and slime all together on mats. That just didn't sound like fun to me, you know? Um, so that's when I went into the weight room and that's when I realized I could lift more weight than most guys. And I was starting to think I was pretty good. We even had a, a 1,000 pound club and you had to do a bench a squat and a, a power clean and, you're, uh, and you do, had to do each one three times uh, and your uh, weight added with those three events had to equal 1,000 pounds. And then if you did that, you were in the club. Um, I started the 1,000 pound club, you know, in our high school. And, um, and it was really great until I, I um, got out of high school. I started uh, doing a little competition, local bench press competitions. And man, then I realized I'm a weakling uh, compared to some of these guys. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd, I'd compete, but it was just like, man, I'm just not even hardly in the running. 
Then I moved up here uh, to, you know, and I still was lifting and, you know, just kind of more as a tourist uh, up here in Portland. But um, then I met one of our, our guys here at Athey, a good friend of mine, George Nelson. And George, I met him and, and, um, and heard what he was benching. I was like, are you kidding me? He, um, I watched him when he was 60 years old, he benched 615 pounds and broke the world record for 60 year olds by like 150 pounds. Like, like um, and, uh, and I realized I'm like, a total pipsqueak. Uh, now, now George helped me and got my bench even higher than I ever thought. But, but you know, uh, by the time I saw George lifting, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like I, I, like I need to just hang it up. Uh, why would I even pretend to be a power lifter? You know, it's all relative. Um, if you're comparing yourself to other people, um, that's not the right comparison. Try comparing yourself to Jesus Christ. How do you hold up to that? Because the more you do that, the more you'll just go, oh, I am not worthy. Like Jesus is the ultimate of everything. You compare yourself to him, that's probably, unless you're as good as Jesus, you're kind of miserable. Um, and the point is, we're not even close to Jesus. This guy, this Pharisee was comparing himself, well, at least I'm not like these other people who he despised. A horrible attitude when you start comparing yourself, at least I'm better than the neighbors or I'm better than those other people at school or at work. Um, that's always a dangerous pitfall, you know, watching other people. Um, you know, um, it's important for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. By the way, as a church, we need to do that too. Um, just to keep our eyes on Jesus. And, and one of the big mistakes that people make is they start looking at other people and judging other people. It's just such a pharisaical kind of attitude. The Pharisee was approaching God according to his own behaviors and deeds and, and, um, and really um, wasn't approaching God based on his grace and mercy. That's the only basis um, that you or I can approach God is by his mercy and by his grace. That's the only basis. So... Um, by the way, you know, he even said, I fast twice in the week. Uh, history on Pharisee fasting, fasting, they would. They'd fast two days out of the week. Um, and you know what? I was reading about this in the first century and for several hundred years of the Pharisees. Um, when they'd fast on those two days, they were famous. Some, there was a certain sect of Pharisees that were famous for making themselves look really, really gaunt and, and hungry. Um, there's stories of Pharisees um, powdering their faces with white powder to sort of make them look sickly. And they'd sort of darken under their eyes to make them look a little more sunken. And they just looked very hungry as they walked around, kind of, you know, like they were really hungry or something. Um, I'm very much against that. I think pastors and Pharisees should have looked full and healthy. Uh, but, uh, but these guys would, would make themselves look weakened so others would perceive them as more holy. So here he is, I fast twice a week. Like he's, he's thinking his dutiful Pharisee behavior um, is gonna get him anywhere, but check this out. Now Jesus changes gears uh, and talks about the public in verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift so much as his eyes unto heaven. That's that humility part. But smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell, you that, uh, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is a, a, a truth all throughout scripture. We talked about Nebuchadnezzar last week who was the king of Babylon and he thought he was really amazing and the Lord humbled him. And the last words Nebuchadnezzar said is those who walk in pride, God is able to abase. 
Um, that's just the truth. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Um, we see this great contrast between the Pharisee and the publican. Um, by the way, there's an interesting original Greek thing here where it says in verse 13, God be merciful to me, a sinner in his prayer. Um, the word uh is a definite article for you, um, uh, you know, that know this kind of stuff. Um, it means it's probably more of a the than a uh. Um, he's saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. That's kind of an interesting difference. But if you look in the original Greek, you see it there. <clears throat> it's almost like he's saying, I am the ultimate sinner. Remember Paul did this when he said it in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that I, that you know, Paul the apostle, that Christ came to, uh, into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. He said, I am the chiefest of sinners. This is Paul's attitude. <clears throat> so rather than looking around, well, at least I'm better than Barnabas, or at least I'm better than Silas or this young Timothy. Paul didn't say that. <clears throat> Paul, <clears throat> excuse me, would argue that he was the chiefest of sinners. Um, and, and by the way, this is, this is an important attitude to have because one of the tactics of Satan to keep you away from God is to um, you know, sort of whisper in your, you need to be perfect to come to the Lord. Um, if you go to church, you know, you'll be struck by lightning because you're such a bad person. But when you start to realize, no, I don't approach God based on who I am. I approach you know, the Lord based on who he is. Um, so when you come, you should come saying, I am the chiefest of sinners. Um, what do we do when we feel afraid to approach God because we're sinful? Uh, we just agree and say, I am a sinner. And don't argue the point, but just admit it. I am a sinner um, who's been saved by God's grace. Um, if you're a sick person, you go to a doctor. If you're a sinner, you go to the Lord. Um, this is a really important thing. So, um, so uh, you know, another thing we see here that, that I love here in verse 14 is the, the word justified. Which guy went back justified? And justification is the whole thing. If you're gonna pray before God, you better hope that you end up justified. The word justification, the Greek word for justified is oiak, um, uh, which means to render righteous, to show, exhibit um, uh, uh, one another to be righteous or one to be righteous, to declare, pronounce one to be just. Um, the, the old adage is, you know, justification, just as if you'd never sinned. It's wiping away of your sin. Um, you know, he, uh, that's why the Lord says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Romans chapter three, verse 23, if all of sin comes short of glory of God, but it goes on, it says being justified freely by his grace uh, through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. So um, man, I hope we always remember that's the whole thing. We come to, to the Lord because we're sinners, because we're sick and messed up, uh, we need the Lord. Um, by the way, church should always be that. I always hope Athey Creek is a place where the sick people come. Um, and I don't want, like, we don't want people that think they're the Pharisee come in. Whom oh, I noticed that that um, you know person said a cuss word in the parking lot. Hmm. Or you know, I noticed the, that girl is wearing clothing that's probably not appropriate for church. Hmm. Um, would you please leave, Pharisee? Um, Brett, what are you encouraging girls to wear? No, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying. Um, if you're the one, you know, looking around and and finding fault with people, then you're kind of in the Pharisee category. Um, at Athe Creek, we hope people that are messed up sinners who are totally lost will be able to come in here and hear the good news of the gospel and uh, be saved by God's grace. 
Um, you know, sometimes we try to clean the fish before we catch them. You gotta catch the fish first. So that means there's gonna be some fish coming in here. Hopefully, that's the goal. I think churches lose that, you know, and, and pretty soon we have these rules and things. And if we, we see a person who doesn't fit into our, you know, uh, spiritual club, then we sort of exclude them and not make them feel welcome or ready to hear the good news. Um, I think we have to be careful about that. You never know who's gonna stumble into church and be saved. Um, we've had some interesting characters come in who were not saved, but um, sat in here and fortunately nobody judged them or got mad at them or anything like that. Um, I remember, I remember, I can tell you stories. I, we had a king from Africa who was here, who was a, a, a progressive liberal to the nth degree who was anti-Bible, anti-God. And his daughter would you know, drag him to church here. And he was, he was literally a king. I didn't believe it at first. He's like, I'm a king yeah, um, in Nigeria. And I, I said, yeah, yeah, is there a financial thing you're gonna do? Like later on, I saw a CNN thing where his, he was there being coronated or crowned as the king of, of that Delta region of Nigeria. And I was like, wow. Um, but it was so cool. You know, he, he, he didn't necessarily fit in, in culturally or um, politically. But what was cool is he just kept coming. He said, he told me later, Pastor Brent, he said, um, I used to leave church so angry at you every Sunday. Um, and then there was that one Sunday he looked up and accepted Christ. And uh, it, it's kind of a cool story. He, he was here to get his second PhD in America. Um, as soon as he did that, he went back to rule as, in his kingdom. I'm, I'm not joking. Um, and then a few years later, he passed on and, and now he's in heaven uh, with the Lord. Um, who would have guessed? That guy was here and needed to be saved. I remember in the front row, there was some girls there and I was talking about something one Sunday. I was, I was talking about Joey uh, and I going to a Blazer game when Joey was just a little kid. This is years ago. Um, and the, you know how the Blazer dancers kind of suggestive, the dancing and it was like, uh, I was, Joey and I were playing games. How many rafters are in the rafters there of, of the Rose Garden or you know, Moda Center? And we'd count the rafters while, while the Blazer dancers were down there busting a move. Um, and I was talking about that, how, you know, you can't, you, know, you can't go anywhere and there's just, you know, over-sexualized culture and stuff like that. And then after the service, I came down and stepped down and these like three girls came walking up. Um, hey, Pastor Brent, we're blazer dancers. Uh, I was like, oh, welcome to the church. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to like, you know, but I, but you know what was so cool is they, they said, Brett, you're totally right. Like they totally agreed with what I just said. And, uh, and it was kind of cool because uh, two of them, I'm sure, accepted Christ. Uh, I don't know about the third one, but it was just kind of cool. I was, like, I was thinking, man, um, the Lord even used, I was almost embarrassed that I was saying that about the blazer dancers, but I think the Lord even used that. Um, so uh, be careful about judging who might be at church on any given Sunday. We need to be at church. I always look at this as a hospital, a place for sick people. Um, and if you're a Pharisee and you come in here, I can't believe there's sick people here. Uh, do, you, do you hear yourself, how ridiculous that is? Hopefully none of us are like that. So when you're justified, you won't, um, uh, by the way, want to go and wallow in the mud again uh, when you're clean. Um, that's what the Lord does. Well, snapshot number three, we, have, uh, we, we go from the widow and the unjust judge, the Pharisee and the publican, and now we have little children that Jesus is gonna talk about in verse 15. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them, but when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. There, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter in. Um, notice that the, you know, the disciples are like uh, saying, get these kids out of here, whatever. Um, I love that Jesus was a kid guy. 
Um, this, um, this is uh, the way of Jesus Christ. You know, um, the links to the Pharisee and the publican, the Pharisee came before the Lord based on his own merit. The kids come to Jesus just because they want to. Um, interesting difference here. Um, have you ever noticed there's two kinds of people in this world? Um, there's people that kids like, and there's people that kids are totally freaked out by. Which one are you? When kids walk up to you, or maybe they don't, are, are you a, a person that freaks kids out? Um, well, Jesus wasn't that guy. Jesus was the guy that would walk up and kids would run up and go, Jesus, and then want to sit on his lap and talk to him. I love that about Jesus. He wasn't this pot-smoking hippie of the movies from the 70s. If you remember the Jesus movies, remember that one with the, there was one where he, he you know, Jesus, his eyes were all sunken. He was all skinny. Um, I'm sure you could smell patchouli oil and stuff. Um, you know, Jesus would turn and look at you like this. Like he, it was like, ah, you know, uh, I guarantee the, the Jesus movie from the seventies, kids would have never said hi to him. But the real Jesus, the, the biblical Jesus, um, by the way, be careful even on these modern Jesus movies. Um, I like some of the stuff. It kind of gets your mind going about what Jesus did and how he was, but be careful. One of the uh, recent movies, Jesus movies, uh, the guy, the, the creator of that uh, made the claim, I'm just showing you the authentic Jesus. My, my problem with that is uh, any movie on TV is not the authentic Jesus. It's just not. They might give it a good whirl. They might be close. Uh, they might be off, who knows, but don't claim to be making the authentic Jesus on any movie or TV show. That's not the right way to put it. Um, if you want the authentic Jesus, where do you look? The Bible. Don't ever let a movie, TV show or whatever replace the Bible. Um, and I think a lot of the movie guys would admit that, uh, but sometimes they get a little bit uh, distracted and say that they're showing the authentic Jesus. No, um, that's, not, that's not the case. This is the authentic Jesus. And you wanna know the authentic Jesus? Kids loved him. And the disciples were the, the, the ones the kids were like, you know, like the disciples were like, get these brats out of here. <laughs> like, what an interesting thing. Um, I think that's a, a big part of Jesus, his character. He had some kind of an inviting joy that even kids liked him. Um, but something to notice again in the language there in verse 15, uh, um, where, um, let's see, uh, verse 15, it says, and they, brought unto him also infants. Who are the they there? Well, we learn a little bit because it says um, the disciples turned to, to uh, uh, the, they that brought the children um, and then they rebuked them. So who is the they and the them in, in, in verse 14? Well, there's a hint because the them at the end of verse 15 is in the masculine. I think that's interesting. Who was bringing these kids to Jesus? It, it seems that it may have been the dads. I think that's an interesting thing. Uh, most scholars agree that this was not the moms. Usually you'd think it's the moms bringing the kids to Jesus because that uh, has to, uh, that tends to be the natural way things progress. I've noticed that moms uh, love bringing their kids to Jesus. Dads often drop the ball on that. But the implication here is that the fathers were bringing their kids to Jesus. I think that's admirable. It was the disciples who got in the way of that. Um, I hope that uh, um, we uh, as fathers and men in today's culture are leading the charge of bringing our children to Jesus. Um, and don't let anybody keep you from, like the disciples, keep you from bringing your children to Jesus. That's the best thing you could ever do as a dad is um, bring your kids to Jesus Christ. 
Um, I, I love at Athey Creek that we have um, a, a good presence of, of uh, male uh, leadership, not just in the church, but also um, in the Sunday school. Um, and I think that's really cool. It's not that I, I don't appreciate the women in the ministry, but you'll notice in a lot of ministries and churches, um, the whole thing is run by women because um, you know women have such a heart to care for kids and it's such an awesome part of their nature, but it's not always built in to men. But I grew up in, in going to different churches where it was all women running the Sunday school. And as a little boy, I, I started to think uh, Christianity was a woman's religion. Um, that, that's just part of my upbringing. And, and uh, I remember when I st first started meeting some, as a young child, some, some solid godly men. And, and suddenly I realized, oh, this isn't just, you know, a girl religion. It, it's, it's actually um, solid dudes love Jesus too. And I love that about Athey Creek. You know, we've been accused uh, over the years by um, sinister mean people uh, to say, Athey Creek has too much testosterone. And again, I'm kind of like, thank you. Like, that's a compliment. I I'm glad that we have a male presence at Athey Creek because I'm just gonna say it. I know I probably shouldn't, but everybody's at home in the snow tonight. So and you guys all look pretty nice. So I'm gonna say it anyway. Um, I think there's, there's a too much femininity in a lot of churches. I'm just gonna say that. There's just too much, uh, you know, and, um, and a lot of men shrugging their shoulders. Well, if the women are gonna lead, if the women are gonna do it, oh, well, I guess we'll just, and suddenly we've got the Deborah and Barak situation of the book of Judges where men are hiding behind the skirts of all the women in the church. Um, I think a healthy church has a strong male leadership and, and presence along with some amazing and um, blessed and gifted women. And, and we complement each other. Men and women really make a nice compliment in the church of Jesus Christ. Um, but if you get imbalanced either way, too much male leadership and no women, uh, or, or too many women and no male leadership, uh, you got a cattywampus church. Um, I would argue that by the grace of God, um, we have amazing women who lead, um, teach and share the word. Um, our women's ministry, I'm just so blessed by what they're doing. Um, and just the, 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 the fruit that we're seeing from that. We have women on our staff who are in administrative roles and leading teams uh, that are just amazing women. Well, Brett, I thought you said men are supposed to lead. Well, uh, there's a difference between administrative leading versus pastoring and elding in the church. And that's where the Bible's really clear on that one. Um, but, but anyway, I, I just love it in this story that the men were bringing the children, even though the disciples were the ones who messed up that. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and you gotta receive the, the kingdom of God as these little children, as they were running up to Jesus, wanting to be with them. Otherwise you won't enter in. Uh, now we have the young rich ruler. Uh, Brett, correction. Uh, isn't it the rich young ruler? Isn't that what we call him? I'm not gonna call him that today. I'll tell you why. Because um, did you know we, we learn about this young rich ruler um, in, the, in three of the gospels? And um, this is the order we find out who he is. In Matthew chapter 18, we find out he's a young guy. In Mark chapter 10, we find out he's a rich guy. And here in Luke chapter 18, we find out he's a ruler, but it's the same guy in all three stories in the three gospel narratives. Um, and that's the order that we learn them. Matthew young, Mark rich, Luke ruler. So we, I'm, I'm gonna call him tonight just for fun, the young rich ruler. Um, now, this guy would be the ultimate uh, influencer today on Instagram. Uh, what does our, our culture covet? Youth. We love being youthful and young. And if you're getting older, you're doing everything you can 
um, to try to help yourself look younger and, and pumping your lips up and putting the shots in your forehead and stuff and uh, hoping to look younger. Desperate, uh, we covet youth worse than ever in our culture. We, we just love youth, 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 youth. This guy's young, so he's got that check. Um, he's rich, check, but he's also a man of power and authority, check. This guy has got it going on, but he's got a problem. Often the people that have it going on on these types of things are also struggling emotionally, spiritually, and so many other things. And we see that in verse 18. It says in verse 18, a certain uh, ruler asked him saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, do you have an answer for this question before we read on? What would your answer be? What do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Think about that just for a second. And then verse 19, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. We went over this in um, the previous gospels. Um, is Jesus claiming not to be God here? No, it's quite the opposite. Jesus is giving this man a chance to say, you are good, so you must be God. That's the point. Jesus is God and he is good. And there is only one who's good. And that's, that's God, which is Jesus, God in the flesh. So um, either I'm God or I'm not good is kind of what Jesus is saying here. But verse 20 goes on. Thou knowest the commandments. Um, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And verse 21, and he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now, you don't see it as much in this gospel, but do you remember in the other gospels, what was happening here? Why didn't Jesus um, finish the 10 commandments? He started them. He started listing off the 10 commandments, but then he stops here. And in this gospel, you kind of don't know why. Do you remember why he stopped? Anybody? The rich young ruler or the young rich ruler, he interrupted Jesus before he could even finish. Yeah, 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 I've done all these things. That's kind of what he said. It's like an interruption. We get that from the other gospels. Um, but, um, but, um, you know, he, he thinks he's done all these things since the time he was a child. This is a little bit like the Pharisee who thought he was completely righteous. Uh, we know this guy wasn't righteous and Jesus knows his biggest shortcoming and he's gonna start to identify that. Um, we read on in verse uh, 22. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Uh, by the way, he didn't get to thou shalt not covet. He didn't get to that 10 commandment yet, but he dials right into it here. He says, yet you lack one thing, sell that that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, this is uh, interesting. Uh, does this mean to be saved? We need to go, all we need to go and sell our possessions and give to the poor and just follow Jesus in total poverty? No, Jesus is saying that to this person because he knew this was the thing keeping his heart away from God. His material wealth was in the way of his heart uh, for following the Lord. Um, what saves a person? Uh, giving away everything that you own? That's almost what you might think that Jesus is saying here. You'll be saved if you give away all your stuff. But um, Jesus is more accurately, what he's saying here is, if your material wealth is keeping you from the Lord Jesus, 
then maybe it's a good idea to get rid of all your wealth and still go after Jesus. Rather than living in, you know, be, rather be living in poverty, uh, but going to heaven than to be wealthy in the danger of going to hell. And that's what Jesus is saying to this guy. But sadly, um, this guy, as we know, goes away very sorrowful and weeping even because he knew he couldn't do it. Well, um, verse 26 goes on, and, and they that heard it said, who, who then can be saved? Um, good, good question, who then can be saved? <coughs> um, but with God, it's possible. Check it out. Verse 27, and he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Um, then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them, verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. Um, what's, what's Jesus saying here? You know, Jesus saying, uh, you know, if you give up these things, um, the Lord will not be outgiven. You know, you'll be blessed. When you, when you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain life. This is the same notion. And, uh, and then Jesus explains how it is possible to be saved. Even if they're thinking, who can really be saved? Jesus is gonna answer that question in verses 31 through 33. He says in verse 31, then he took him uh, unto him the 12 and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Um, I always marvel, and I say this every time we bump into these scriptures, but how many times did the Lord Jesus tell the disciples what he was going to Jerusalem to do? But how much did they not understand? Even after he says, see, we read this, it's easy for us because we know the story. Yeah, he went to Jerusalem, he was scourged and they spat on him and they hung him on a cross and he died. And then the third day he rose again. We all go, yeah, 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 we see this. But did the disciples understand this? Well, um, this is one of the funniest verses in the Bible, if you ask me, verse 34. It says three times, very emphatically, they had no clue. Check this out, verse 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Did you see that three times? They understood nothing, number one. Number two, the sayings were hidden from them, uh, clueless. Number three, neither knew they the things which were spoken. This is like a redundant verse. They didn't know what was happening, they were clueless, and they never figured it out. Like this is the disciples. Do you ever feel like that when you read the Bible? Lord, what is this all about? I don't get it. Um, can you just be patient? Just like these disciples, they didn't get it. I'm not mocking them for that. I'm pretty sure we would have not had a clue either. Um, but eventually the disciples would understand, wouldn't they? They'd get it. After Jesus died and rose from again, they're like, oh, this is what he was talking about all those times, you know? And the same thing will happen to you if you're just patient when you read the Bible. Just patiently keep reading, don't give up. Uh, well, um, uh, I, I love this. Now, um, now the thing about this is, uh, um, you know, what does it mean to be saved? Um, and, and they're asking, who really can be saved? Well, the, the, the one that makes it possible is what Jesus just said. It, some people might think, why did Jesus change the subject and start talking about going to Jerusalem and dying on a cross? It's not changing the subject, it's what saves you. Jesus did the work to save anyone who would repent and come to him through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why he went to that. 
Well, that brings us to the fifth and final snapshot in our stories here of blind Bartimaeus uh, in verses 35 to the end. Let's finish up. And it came to pass that as he was come near to Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried saying, "Um, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Um, now notice, um, notice the humility that we see there. He's, he's you know, crying out humbly, you know, have mercy on me. Verse 39, and they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Um, now this is interesting because, um, you know, we've, we've seen a bunch of people in our story in chapter 18. How many of these people were where there are other people trying to hinder them from being with Jesus. We've already seen this now three times. We have the picture of the widow where they were, you know, that was trying to get the, get that woman out of here. I don't want to hear that woman. She's a pain. Get her out of here. They were pushing away from her, away from justice. Um, the children who wanted to come to Jesus, the disciples were pushing them away. And here's the blind beggar and they're saying, be quiet, pipe down and get out of here. Like there's a, there's a thing where people will try to keep others from Jesus. Our job is to bring people to Jesus. Um, I love that Jesus always takes the rejects and brings them in. Um, So even though they're saying, get out of here, man, pipe down. uh, I love what it says in verse 39. He cried out so much more. The Greek text there, when you read it, it's like he he almost went a little crazy. Like it's, it's, he just, he's like, ah! Like he's yelling out with a great vehement um, enthusiasm so that nobody could uh, mistake that he was needing Jesus's help. Verse 40, and Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him saying, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And and, uh, he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Was Jesus just trying to be difficult here? Here's this blind guy and he, and he comes up to Jesus, have mercy on me. And she's like, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Is he just being difficult? No, I believe Jesus is giving this man a chance to confess what he needs. I think there's a, a humbling effect. Um, you know, sometimes Jesus, I think, wants us to articulate our need to him. That's what prayer is about, um, to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask uh, things um, that we have need of. In verse 41, he said, you know, he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Verse 42, and Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Notice three quick things about blind Bartimaeus. Number one, notice his humility. He knew his need. He knew that he wasn't all that. He knew that his only hope was gonna be in Jesus Christ. He couldn't do it himself. He knew he was a sinner. Um, He didn't cry victim. He just recognized his need. Just like the publican, by the way, who was in the prayer earlier. Number two, we see not only his humility, but also his tenacity. Another theme we see in chapter 18, the unjust judge and the widow, the widow just kept going and coming after. And, and because of that persistence and consistency, um, the Lord granted. Same with this guy, his tenacity, he kept with it. Um, it's been said, <clears throat> a great oak tree is nothing more than a little nut that held its ground. 
Um, I think that's kind of funny because I think there's something to that. If you, just, if you keep pressing and tenacity is what God asks of us, but also his expectancy. <clears throat> we see in other gospels of the blind Bartimaeus story, like in Mark chapter 10, verse 50, <clears throat> it says that when Jesus, when he heard it was Jesus, he threw his garments off his shoulders as like his coat and bolted. Like it says, he, he cast into his garment, garment <clears throat> sprang up and went to Jesus. I like his enthusiasm and his expectancy that Jesus would actually help him. And thus we have um, the, those three components of blind Bartimaeus. Good attributes for you and me to be humble before God, but tenacity to continually seek the Lord um, with expectation that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we'd ask or think. So there you have it. I love this chapter because there's so much here. You and I can chew on this stuff for days and think about it, meditate on it and say, Lord, am I the Pharisee? Do I come with tenacity? Am I humble before you? Or I'm, uh, do I think I'm better than everybody else? Oh, there's so much here for us to consider. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Lord would say tonight in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, for this chapter, how thankful we are, packed full of good truth, things for us to think about. Um, Lord, I pray that the, the good fruit would come of this study. Um, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to um, bring others to you uh, and be the, the vehicle, the vessel that's used uh, to, to facilitate people coming to know you. I pray that we would come to you in prayer, consistency and persistency. Um, but Lord, we also pray for those that aren't saved, that they would know that Jesus came to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And that if they repent of their sin and accept the gift of Jesus, that they can be saved. Lord, soften those hearts as well who might hear this study. So as we go our way tonight, I pray blessing upon these, your people. Give everybody a safe trip home. Um, we just pray blessing on your church in Jesus' name, amen.